podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. We are going to talk about Pakistan pitches, Pakistan hires, Australia Day, Ireland touring Bangladesh, big bash fun, a lot to get through in this uh, show. So for now, Bharat, uh, the least amount of prep we've ever done on a show that, let's be honest, doesn't always have a lot of prep. No. <laughs> but this, this one might be taking it to a whole new level. I don't know how much you've been following this, so it'd be really interesting to get your, your views mm-hmm. on this. But Pakistan um, has a new interim chair. Um, right. who is a former uh, chairman. So he's coming back. Uh, was he two? Mahi and, yeah, so he's he was three chairmen back, I suppose. Uh, no, two chairmen back. Yeah, Rambo. Right. Yeah, and Mahi. And so he's come back and it's got very, very strong let's get the band back together vibe yeah. so far. So it obviously started with Mickey Arthur where we're all like, wait. Didn't Mickey Mar- Arthur take the lo- world's longest Derbyshire contract because he was sick and tired of <laughs> doing good jobs for international teams and then getting shafted? Um, and then, uh, and then of recent times, we've got Haroon Rashid as the um, chairman of Keep selectors. Mm. So I think the last time he was involved with selecting was 2016 or 2015. It might have been. Um, uh, he's a 70 year old or 68 year old. Yeah. He's old player who played what late 70s early 80s i want to say is that some right i think more early 70s towards the end of the 70s might have played a little in the 80s i would i would doubt that like yeah i mean he's more the asif iqbal era than uh say a javed meanda era if that makes sense he's 69 i said 68 or 70 it's just i wasn't far off uh he played his last test match in 1983 yeah so 77 to 83 so that's World Series sort of period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There and it's really interesting because clearly, clearly there is a move to go back there. I mean, let's the Mickey Arthur one. I kind of get. I'm actually, I'm not going to, you know, slag off Mickey Arthur for no other reason, um, Barra, in that I'm commentating with him in a couple of days for Talk Sports. So <laughs> I don't want Mickey to like the first thing to be like, why did you say? But I do think Mickey's a good coach. But I also mm. think that it, it was a very bizarre thing because. You know, I started looking at the old like uh, 2015 teams to see if like they're also going to get back the the old the old players. Like who who can they? Eunice <laughs> Khan can can he come back? And uh, yeah, Wahab Riaz is he still a chance of a, of 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 that? And so Najam Sethi has come in, and it yeah. really just does feel like it is very much get the band back together, as I said. But the more interesting thing is having someone like um, uh, Rashid come back in. We have seen, and you and I have had conversations with these people, people who are mid to late 40s, early 50s, who become chairman of selectors, and they say things like, oh, we just need more Yorkers at the death in T20. And you're just like, how can you select a team? You have no idea what's going on. Exactly. And I'm not, I don't want to say that Rashid is that sort of person. I know he's been involved with the academy. But he was, I think he was the team manager at one stage. I think he's, he, had, he's been everything. He's yeah, had every yeah. job. He's been coach, manager, <laughs> yeah. selector. Yeah. So he's done everything. But I, I just, from a, watching the way they play T20 cricket, which I don't want to say it's old fashioned because it's almost like classic 
Pakistan at this stage, isn't it? But I do feel, looking at all this, that Najam Seth has come back in as, as chairperson of the uh, PCB and just decided that he's going to get everyone back together. It just, it's not exactly what I wanted from Pakistan cricket at the moment. I don't know. What, what are your vibes uh, from what you've seen of all this? No, I'm not very surprised. I mean, Ramiz Raja was supposed to be the the man of the future, wasn't he? I mean, perfect hair, uh, natally dressed. I'm not saying Najam Sethi isn't natally dressed. I'm just saying Ramiz Raja had that air of taking Pakistan cricket to the future. Uh, he 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 has, uh, you know, he had the thing about. Uh, bringing a lot of Australian culture to Pakistan cricket in terms of uh, whether it's, uh, you know, and at least like speaking about it, you know, whether it's in terms of uh, the kind of pitches he was looking to create, not in the moment, but moving forward, but or, or, or even in terms of uh, franchising cricket in that sense. Uh, but he was, I mean, he tried to borrow a lot of ideas from uh, what we in the subcontinent call the West. Australia is technically not to the West but it is in a way, if that makes sense. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was supposed to bring in all these uh, younger people or people uh, from uh, more or more contemporary cricketers, former cricketers into the mix, uh, which saw, you know, the likes of Saklin Mushtaq take over as coach. Guys, he had uh, a lot to do with as a player. Uh, but then uh, the moment that was taken away, it's a very classic subcontinental scene though, Jared. It takes place on a daily basis uh, in households all around India, Pakistan, and uh, maybe not so much in Sri Lanka, I'm not sure, where, uh, yeah, I mean, you just... Uh, thrive on uh, the more things change the more they say the same philosophy uh and uh, I, was, I wasn't surprised that uh the moment that happened they went uh, i mean there was even talk of wakar yunus being brought back as a uh, bowling coach and then wakar had to go on social media and say no i'm not interested or no i had a great time as bowling coach i think he was bowling coach what seven times or so or then he was head coach three <laughs> it felt like that yeah yeah he was head coach he was bowling coach yeah, the last time before uh, the last time Pakistan came and played test cricket in Australia, he was definitely bowling coach and he was head coach. I remember way back in 2011 when I covered the World Cup, he's been bowling coach a few times in between that. He did some, uh, he did SEN commentary with us on that Australia tour of Pakistan. And uh, I remember him talking about the various incarnations of Wakar Yunus, the coach, but clearly that's not happening for now. Was he head coach in 2009 as well? Uh, he could have been interim head coach. Was it 2010? Uh, oh, yeah, when he... he was 2010-11. Against Australia, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, he's, uh, yeah. The, the whole thing is, it, it is a little bit ridiculous at this point. And I, I do worry about a selector of that age, but also I worry about this whole thing of who did we have before that we liked? And that's not, as I said, Bicky Arthur's a good coach. It's not all that these are wrong decisions, but no. are you making the decisions for the right reasons? And it would suggest at the moment that that, is not what is happening. Um, also, the, again, not having a go at Najam Sethi, he's obviously been made interim chair and fine, we get that. Uh, but he seems to be doing a lot of CEO stuff, which is actually mm. what you would argue that Ramiz Raja did. That's yeah. not what a chair is, right? No, like no. that's yeah. what a CEO is for. And they had a CEO, CEO wasn't Khan, who was chased out. If you're going to go back and hire anyone, and you're not going to be able to get him back now because he's a general manager of the ICC, but that would yeah. have been the person that would have made more sense, I would have thought. No, oh, yeah. I mean, with Vasim Khan, you almost felt like uh, it was two steps too far in the future, uh, or so it felt, the way yeah. he was treated by the PCB eventually. Uh, right? And he was around uh, 
Pakistan when Australia were touring there and just uh you know he had that air of like you know you we could have gone somewhere i mean to an, we could have taken a new direction and like i said going back to that pakistan tour of australia uh, back in 2019 he was the ceo back then and uh, uh he seemed to uh, you know he seemed to have at that point got grips of what was expected of him and the, he had a vision but clearly that didn't tally with what the rest of the pcb or rest of those running pakistan cricket had in mind uh, and and it didn't work out uh, but uh, yeah look mickey arthur is one of those coaches right like he had a longer contract but then what he it contract was just brought to a, an abrupt end after the 2019 world cup where pakistan had a middling world cup they didn't have a great world cup but they had a few results if a few results had gone their way who knows they could have made it to the semi finals but then he loses his job there um and uh, then it, it, it is then that he moved to sri lanka right i'm pretty sure yeah right after the 2019 world cup was there a pause in between i can't remember if there was a pause but yeah it was pretty much straight after he might yeah, have, pretty much he might have done a psl team straight after and then went to sri lanka but yeah. that is true yeah yeah so uh yeah i mean like harun rashid is is one of those uh, you know he he's he's got that caretaker feel about him right he's been a caretaker manager he's been a caretaker coach i'm very sure he was interim coach if not once at least twice in the last 20 years uh, i remember him being a manager during the man of the team during the uh, the 90s the late 90s 97 98 um and, and yeah i mean he's back as selector i mean shahid afridi classic shahid afridi fashion was a uh, selector for what three weeks or so and he He's gone, and he'll be back. You sure? Isn't that uh, many, a, many more times before he's done with the job? Isn't that the best Afridi um, selection anyway? Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Comes in for three weeks, does some damage. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then he's <laughs> off. Uh, we're going to have a short break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the ICC and Pakistan up next uh, with a few things. Uh, be listening to Uncovered with Jared Kimber and Barrett. Sundar Racing. I don't know why I said that, and then I realized straight away that I hadn't got the ad ready. But the ad's ready now. Welcome back. Uncovered Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundaresan. So I broke the story that the PCB actually under Najam Sethi were going to be fighting the Royal Pindi rating of their pitch. Mm. We've already talked about that before. That has been successfully fought by the PCB. So they now have only lost one point for a bad Royal Pindi mm. pitch, not two. Which does mean, as I don't know how much you know about things. Do you know what Discord is? Do I need to explain Discord to you? Discord, the uh, website where people can get together and. chat with each other or discord as in the no no that's that's good you did you did well uh so over on my discord channel staniel 9 has said pcb successfully argued that their bowlers are just shit and the pitch was fine <laughs> which is is true i mean i basically made a video suggesting that was uh, what they were doing so it was that i'm just going to have a look here someone else put this up it was the third highest run total in the history of test cricket and if i'm not mistaken it's the only one where it wasn't a timeless test oh so okay. the first one was 1939 in kingsmead i'm just i'm i haven't looked at this but i'm just going off yeah no no i should be right 1939 kingsmead i'm pretty sure that was definitely a timeless test the other yeah. one is sabina park in 1930 which i think is the one where is it andy sanford yeah he makes his the first ever trip 100 yeah, yeah right. so i think that was timeless as well wasn't it so I'm just throwing that out there because this is what the ICC has said. So Yankee Wraith over on our Discord are having a great chat about this on on it today. This is from the uh the press release I think. The uh, ICC said the appeal panel reviewed footage from the match and unanimously concluded that the pitch had several redeeming features and felt that the pitch did not deserve the below average rating. 
it went on to say that the fact that 37 out of 40 wickets were taken and that the match had a result were among the redeeming features. Redeeming features. That isn't several to begin with. And I've just said that had the third most runs ever scored and perhaps and the most runs ever scored in a five-day game. If you also remember, uh, sorry, if you go back, someone else was saying on, on, on the Discord that they actually got less overs as well. It was only 388 overs, right? It wasn't the full amount of overs. It's a phenomenal thing to do. And, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago about the fact that it's a systemic problem, right? Like you can't just have mm. Andy Pycroft be like, that's bad. No, no. Because I, I, when I broke the story about the fact that they were doing it, you know, I started, you know, sending WhatsApps. There were plenty of people within the ICC and around going, eh, well, you know, they got 37 wickets, so it can't have been that bad. It's just been like, yeah, but that's not the data points we should be looking at. We yeah. should be looking at, did the ball move sideways at all? Was it fair for both bat and ball? What, you know, uh, was it only that England played the most remarkable innings um, in Test Match Cricket history that we actually, you know, we got a result at all and these sorts of things. But it is interesting that p- the PCB went in with data from Hawkeye and that that's gone. So it does suggest now that the ICC's rating system is basically what an appeal away from you losing. I mean, I can't imagine not appealing now unless someone, in, unless yeah. someone was playing a forward defense and got hit in the grill. Uh, no, I mean, if it uh, isn't a repeat of that Sabina block pitch from 90, yeah. 1998, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it. Uh, this is a reminder of sorts of when I was in school and, you know, I'd already been penalized for having come up, like, you know, I've gone into trouble for something. And then my parents were called a second time and said, like, look, uh, my parents said, look, you already wrapped him on the knuckles once. Like, you know, he's already spending half the time in school outside the classroom because he's such a you know disruptive force inside the classroom is there any point in suspending him and so you know at least and and the school the principal saying yeah i mean there are some redeeming features he might not do well very uh, do very well in his exams but at least he shows up so that's a redeeming feature so that's what it really reminded me of when i read that report from the icc uh, where they're saying yeah hey at least 37 wickets fell I mean, let's not talk about how they fell and at what least happened. The surface or what was it... made of grass. Uh, yeah, um, at you least know, no knives came out of it. <laughs> it had several, and by several we mean two redeeming features. Pretty yeah. much. No, it's um, it just felt to me like I think, I think we we might have talked about it before. The the idea that you need to get five points in five years, and if you then get five points in five years, what you will get is potentially a 12-month period where you won't be able to host. I mean, they've made it so hard to actually get the points. I, I still believe that the other pitch against Australia was probably a three-point mm. pitch. Yeah. And that was so bad that you yeah, couldn't have found it one point. Once you find that one one point, I think if I was the PCB, I would have said, well, wait a minute, it's not that bad. It yeah, wasn't exactly. as bad as that last pitch. Like I said, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But the hilarious nature of literally having to say, no, 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 the pitch wasn't bad. It's our bowlers are just absolute garbage <laughs> and they got hammered to be able to get your way, uh, self away from that. Raw Pindi, uh, I was looking again and I was on the, um, was it, oh, is it, I've forgotten that, is Beyond the Crease, the, the grassroots cricket podcast today, we were talking about it. First class cricket doesn't seem to be a problem. And and again, mm. it comes back to that that first thing that we were talking about with Pakistan cricket. In there, there seems to be so many bosses and micro bosses and managing mm. bosses and you know new chair people and all these you know CEOs and all these different people that 
surely what needs to happen is quite clearly that Royal Pindy is told, forget the ICC. You guys have the next pitch is either going to be a good cricket wicket or we're going to move to somewhere else. But I don't think that that politically is obviously going to go with, with the PCB at the moment. Oh, I mean, <laughs> when you're talking about uh, Pakistan cricket having a lot of bosses and a lot of people in different positions having um, an in, uh, not, I wouldn't say an interest, but uh, 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 not even a vested interest, but this uh, bizarre interest in what's happening with Pakistan cricket, who are people who don't technically have a lot to do with Pakistan cricket or who aren't, who have more important things to do. Uh, I'm always reminded of uh, Imran Khan when he was a uh, prime minister. And I found out when, again, going back to that Pakistan tour of uh, Australia in 2019, and I found out that he was trying to uh, check what pace uh, Mohammad Abbas was bowling at. This is when he was like the prime minister and he had a lot of important things to, I mean, it was, it was almost cute like that, you know, there okay. is Imran Khan. Let's stop there. What that, I mean, cause that is an incredible story. What is your favorite stupid story of political interference in cricket? I'm going to give mine and that Imran mm. Khan story might even top mine. <laughs> mine is that the South African government hired spies to follow Basil Dolavira to see what his form was like in county cricket. And yeah. he was playing for Worcestershire, wasn't it? He's from Worcestershire. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a Tuesday in Worcestershire and they're playing a game against Derby and it's raining and the South African government has a spy <laughs> that see what's going on with Basil Dolavira. <laughs> We've now got Imran Khan checking. I'm checking the, the missile crisis with India, but also <laughs> Muhammad Abbas is bowling at 79 miles an hour. Yeah. Something must be done. Have you got, <laughs> is there anything else that can top that? Because those are two pretty strong stories. Oh, I mean, like, look, when you come from the subcontinent, uh, there's, there's so much political involvement uh, in, in cricket. I do remember there was that uh, that story where uh, a few, uh, when I was still covering cricket in India, I think, was it the Pakistan cricket board officials who tried to have a, have a meeting in uh, at the MCA, the Mumbai Cricket Association, which was also the head office of the BCCI and some political uh, party sent goons to uh, attack them or I remember it was quite the story but uh, which I had to write about back uh, it was like seven or eight years ago but no but the Imran Khan thing for me like uh, not because I heard about it, it was just and also yeah it didn't end there so and then the person he had asked I won't give his identity away uh, replies back to Imran Khan saying he's bowling at whatever 79 miles an hour and then Imran Khan apparently replies saying that's uh, what do you say? Um, that's not sad. That that's tragic or something like that. Like you know, it's it's, it's funny. Like you know, or you know, that's it's grim. It's grim. That was his reply. Like uh, that he was so keen on not just how Pakistan were doing and Pakistan was struggling, but the pace. But yeah, you can never take the cricketer out of a cricketer, can you? Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's been it, and it continues to be. I mean, look uh, what's happening with Indian cricket right now and who's uh, calling the shots. I need to be careful with what I said before I head there in a week's time. <laughs> in your last week as a Greek Buzz reporter. That's a joke, <laughs> by the way. He hasn't been fired yet. Not yet. Just on the ICC thing, just to go back to that, I'm trying to work out whether this means the ICC will take it seriously. Well, I'm not really trying to work this out. I have a very strong opinion on this. But I'm trying to work out whether this will make the ICC take data more seriously, being that the PCB mm -hmm. turned up with Hawkeye information, the ICC's Hawkeye information. True. <laughs> or whether we'll just see it, whether the opposite and they're just like, well, I mean, our system five points in five years and the 12 month suspension clearly means we won't take it seriously at all. So we'll probably, if there are really flat pitches in the, in the future, we probably won't even bother with it because it might just 
embarrass us a little bit. Um, what, yeah. That's kind of where I'm leaning. Am I wrong? No, you're not at all wrong. And uh, look, I think it'll, it'll reach a point where uh, they look more at pitches where I think the bowlers have much of a say. I mean, like the Pune pitch of 2017, or even the—I mean, even though we've reviewed it so many times in the last few weeks, the Gabba pitch for the Australia-South Africa Test. The more and more you look at it, uh, I mean, I, I thought about it the other day. If Travis Head had been caught, uh, if the ball had carried to second slip, that good game could have been over in a in, in a day, literally, or a day and a half, so or less than a day and a mm. half. So maybe uh, you know that could be a pitch that may, the ICC will look at. Uh, more seriously or more sternly than, or take a more stern view of it than they did eventually. Uh, but with these flat pitches, but I think again, it comes down to if the Australia test hadn't happened, right? Like going back to my analogy, if I had already not been wrapped on the knuckles once, obviously I would have got a sterner punishment the second time I got into trouble. Like similarly, mm. if this was the the only p- test played in the year in Rawalpindi, uh, then I have a feeling that it might have uh, got that one point. I'm not saying it would have, they would have gone any further than that. But I, even though there is a lot of data, unless the ICC dramatically changes their view on um, how they would grade pitches, uh, I, and I don't see that happening anytime soon, despite the fact that the PCB have gone with the data. It, it's like you said earlier, it, it, whether you go in with the data or not, I think what the other cricket boards will take away from this is well, let's just appeal and see. And more often than not, we will get away with it. Yeah. I, look, I think the most important thing at the moment is that the ICC should be embarrassed out of this and they should look at their system and they should change it. Yeah. And, I, you know, they won't. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> after the break, uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about uh, some big bash stuff and the Australian women's cricket team and playing on Australia Day. All right, welcome back to Uncovered. Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundaresan. So I haven't been following this story, but I'm assuming mm. as the Australian consultant, consultant, maybe the Australian consultant, this uh, the Australian uh, writer for Crick Buzz, you've been on top of it. So Ashley Gardner, who is Indigenous, mm. is upset that she has to play for Australia on Australia Day. Uh, for those who don't know the full story, essentially mm. Australia Day not only does it um, signify the colonization of Australia, despite the fact that Australia, I suppose, it, without the name, had been around for 40,000, 50,000 years at least before then, but also the actual holidays on the same day that happened, which is not the case in most other colonized countries. Usually you separate the day that you stole the country yeah. from the local people with the holiday, but in Australia's case, they're on the same day. So you can imagine there are a lot of Indigenous people not particularly happy. It's called Invasion Day. A lot of major yeah. Australian brands have stopped selling Australian Day products because yeah. of this. Eventually the day will be moved. Why it hasn't been moved yet, I don't know. But what's the Ashley Gardner side of this? I, I, I should have read the article, actually, but I just saw the headline, but I figured that you would have been a little bit more on top of this than I am. No, no, no. I mean, basically, Ashley Gardner, who is a, a very proud First Nations uh, a person to start with, and then a very proud um, Australian cricketer and a very successful one at that, uh, has basically said that because there is a game, uh, I mean, she's not comfortable with the with a cricket game. So still, a women's team is supposed to play Pakistan um, on uh, what is Australia Day, and as and, and you know, historically there has been, there have been cricket matches always played on Australia Day. There were times you would remember Jared growing up, a Test match would start on Australia Day, or they would. I, I remember later years there would always be a 26 January game uh, in Adelaide. 26 January, by the way, is also Republic. Adelaide was the main hub of it, and it was sometimes yes. it was a Test, and some and it. 
quite often it was also a one day. Then they yeah. tried to get that thing between India and Australia because obviously it's a big yes. day in India as well. Republic Day yeah. as well. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. That was a brief thing. But yeah, they, more often than not, I would say there's a major Australian men's game that is played on a yes. trade day looking back. Yeah, and this time there's a women, major women's game, and Ash Gardner said uh, she doesn't want to uh, partake in it. So uh, uh, she has said that she will not be playing that match because, like you said, I mean, it's it's let's face it, it's been scheduled as 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 part of the celebration of what is still considered Australia Day. And as a First Nations person and a proud someone who's really proud of her heritage and his has been outspoken, understandably so, about the the impact of colonization, the impact it's had on First Nations people around the country historically all these years and continues to have. Uh, she's has a has a voice, she has an opinion. And she's it's it's not fair. I mean it should not be happening. But since it's happening, rather than disrupt the game, she's just said, uh, put a hand up and said, I won't be participating in it. And since she said that every other, from Meg Lanning to all the senior players and every other member of the Australian women's team have come out and uh, shown their support uh, to Ash Gardner, Jason Gillespie, of course, the first Indigenous man to play Test cricket for Australia before Scott Boland. He's come out and uh, supported Ash Gardner's statement as well. And he said that it has to be looked into. Uh, and look, we're at a very crucial juncture in Australian history as well, right? I mean, we're looking at uh, uh, very soon, maybe uh, uh, there might be a vote to get in the first ever or uh, an indigenous voice for the first ever time in Australian Parliament. So those things will change, and these things are changing. Like you said, uh, it's 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 a, it's a slow progress, slower than it should be. Uh, in a lot of other people's opinions, people who matter. And it's interesting, I was reading um, uh, a post by Amnesty Australia from their official handle in, on Instagram. Aisha actually sent it to me, my wife sent it to me. And where uh, there is also the other belief that should there, I mean, uh, does just moving the date, is that enough? Right? Like, because in their belief, or like uh, for a lot of First Nations people, uh, Every day in the 365 day calendar uh, is is can be looked at as a sign of colonization or the impact it has had and it continues to have on uh, the the you know the indigenous people of Australia. So uh, it, it's a it's a it's a very complex issue. Just from a cricket perspective, I mean, you mentioned yeah. Jason Gillespie. I've forgotten the the woman, Faith Evans, was it, who played in the 50s. Um, uh, yeah, Faith Thomas, the Faith first Thomas. ever. Faith Thomas, yeah. yeah. Faith Evans, I yeah. think, is a country music star. Now I've said that out loud. Right. <laughs> but I'm very bad with what. Once I hit the name Faith, every Faith I'd ever thought of came up there. <laughs> we, that, we don't know. I'm sure there are other Australian players with Indigenous heritage that yeah, either yeah. weren't public with it or didn't know about it. I think Scott Boland's it. family didn't know. Darcy Short's family didn't know. It's very common in Australian not to know that. Yeah. I mean, I have very tiny uh, Indigenous, I don't know what percentage, but very, very tiny. It was only years later we found that out because the rest of the family had pretended not to have it, which, exactly. is, which was very, very common back in those days. And so those things happen a lot. And in cricket specifically, for those who don't know the Indigenous history of cricket, it actually has a real uh, role where um, there were many fast bowlers who came through from Indigenous backgrounds who probably had the skills to play first-class mm. cricket in some case and probably also go on to play test cricket. Eddie Gilbert's the most famous because he sat uh, Bradman down and then dismissed him. Uh, mm. Bradman then called him a chucker. But the thing is, if you look at the history of Indigenous bowlers, I think there's four 
major bowlers yeah. that were that were told that they were um, chucking. Incredible that all that, that their elbows were so flexible, just in indigenous men <laughs> that happen to all be um, straightening their arm. Um, but there's also another stories out of you know um, out of Queensland and out of Western Australia about players who were very good players who never went on to play professionally and how they thought they react uh, they they were uh, talked about. And even with Jason Gillespie, it was years before Australia really started to talk him up as an Indigenous player. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Dan Christian's probably the first player who came in and was talked about as an Indigenous player from the start. From the beginning. Yeah. 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 And so Australia has this history of literally calling Indigenous people for chucking, um, you know, of overlooking the first uh, female Indigenous player that they had, not really glorifying the first male Indigenous player they have. Cricket yeah. has been played by Indigenous people for a very long time. Oh, yeah, and yet you course. look at the national team and it doesn't really reflect that. Ashley Gardner's incredibly important in that, again, a bit like Dan Christian, from the moment she entered the side, you know, she talked about her um, uh, her ethnicity and her background and what it meant to her and everything else. Um, and so Australian cricket has, I mean, I, I don't, do, you, do you follow Aussie rules football? Is that, or is it just it happens? Oh, no, no, of course not. I do follow my Aussie rules football. And before I have to correct myself, Ash Gardner has said she will, she is available for selection and oh. she wants to use that opportunity to educate others about uh, not just her background, but why uh, First Nations people want the date to be changed yeah. as well. So, oh, no, I, 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 ex excellent. And thank you for that because that would have been yeah, annoying no, but on Twitter no, tomorrow. I, but, and, um, but yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I do follow Aussie rules football very closely these days. I mean, uh, you like, look at uh, Aussie rules football and there's so many Indigenous people involved oh, in it. And if you look at, absolutely. you know, Olympians, boxers, you know, uh, Patty Mills in the NBA, um, I think, I think there's been two. Uh, top-level professional um, basketballers that have been Indigenous, I think. And you do look back at cricket, and it's quite obvious what happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Eddie yeah. Gilbert story, he was um, he was living on some sort of government-owned property, which makes it even worse being that he was Indigenous. Um, yeah. and had, you know, But he was living on a property where to play for Queensland, he had to get special permission from the people that yeah. ran the property. Um, and I, I can't remember what his record is. It's not outstanding, but... Mm. I think he, I think he averaged around twenty-eight or thirty with the ball, and and you listen to the, or you read the reports of him at that time, and it, for me, it's almost like a combination of he bowled a little bit between Lassif Malinga and Fidel Edwards, clearly yeah. you know, a handmade style, um, and there were other great Indigenous um, players, but bowlers before him as well. It's something that Australian cricket never really has got right um, over the years, mm. and you know, in in, in some ways. Andrew Simons, who's not Indigenous, of course, who was not Indigenous, no. of course, um, was of West Indian uh, uh, origin. But it, in some ways, he's the most, uh, he was the most talked about sort of, uh, you know, non-white player that came through. And it does tell you how much Indigenous cricket slipped. And so having Ashley Gardner, who's not just, she's not just a fringe player, like with all respect to no, Scott no. Boland. And she's not like Jason Gillespie, where it took a couple of years for it all to come about. Yeah. Ashley Gardner's career, almost from the time she got in, a lot of it has been about her, 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 um, uh, you know, her um, indigenous nature. So I, I, it's Absolutely. a really interesting story about where cricket Australia goes, especially, I mean, I think the female cricketers in general are quite more pro socially progressive than ma male cricket. I mean, to be honest, Donald Trump is more progressive than some male cricketers. So it's not massively a surprise there. But the Australian cricketer, <laughs> male cricketers are quite progressive yeah. at the moment. But female cricketers are, and a lot of that comes back to gay rights as well because there are, there's a you know, huge percentage yeah. of them. So it's interesting that they are willing to step out and, and speak about that and that she was backed by so many of her teammates.
Oh, everyone. Like, yeah, nobody's really uh, uh, even sidestepped the question. Like, you know, you can easily do that in today's day and age. Say, ah, I mean, it's her decision. No, no, they've said, no, we back her decision. And uh, like I said earlier, the fact that she's available for selection means that, uh, I mean, her playing will be her making a strong statement as well. Right. Like, so, uh, um, and, and yeah, I mean, she's been very open. Not This is not the first time she's spoken about uh, not just her background, but uh, the impact that, uh, you know, uh, colonization and everything else has had uh, on her community and all other communities spread around Australia. I mean, they were all little countries, right, mm. at once upon a time, or kingdoms of some sort. So, uh, no, it's very, it's very important. And, um, and even what Scott Boland is doing uh, with, like, you know, if you watch the test documentary, the second and um, second version of it. Uh, Do I have the to? Second, oh, I think so. I think you should. Yeah, I, I've I've been enjoying it. Like, okay. yeah, uh, not just because I can catch myself in the background here and there, invariably behind the nets. But uh, no, and and it's um, like you know, it, it's not. They don't spend a lot of time on Scott Boland uh, visiting. Uh, you know, communities around Australia and educating them about cricket or uh, exposing them to or spreading the awareness of cricket. But it's enough, like, you know, where you get a feel of uh, what it means to him and what it means to everyone else. Like, yeah, like you said, the first ever um, Australian team to leave these shores was was an Indigenous Aboriginal team, right? Uh, and uh, Johnny Mala was, of course, the most famous cricketer from that era. And that's why and since Ajinkya Rahane won it, which funnily enough, which like you know, there's no connection between Ajinkya Rahane and Johnny Mala, but uh, when India won in 2020, uh, uh, boxing their test, uh, that was the first time the player of uh, the match award would uh, be given the Johnny Mala award. And, and the first Australian to get it was Scott Boland, and it had such significance. And it was quite emotional being there that day, not just because of uh, Scotty, Scotty's taken six at the G, but what it meant to him being the first Australian cricketer to get the Johnny Mala medal. I think him and his brother both played for the Indigenous side, didn't they? So Dan yeah, Christian brought a side did. over to England, yeah. ooh, I want to say about three or four years ago. Yeah. And, 2018 um, maybe? Yeah. yeah and I, I think, I can't remember if Darcy Short played. But, yeah, look, the whole the whole thing is very, very interesting, the history of Indigenous cricket in Australia and, and what's happened with it. And Johnny Mueller is a perfect example of a top-level player who I think he plays about seven or eight first-class games for Victoria. Mm. Clearly a lot better than that. There was also other issues in those days as well. I don't think Johnny Muller was from Melbourne. I think he mm. might have lived out of Melbourne, a bit like Eddie Gilbert. Yeah. So actually getting to Melbourne, like just basic issues of, 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 of that sort of stuff. So um, let's go from that to – actually, I just want to ask you a question because you said something so random. This is, I mean, it's almost a question just for you and me more than anything else. But a few years ago, Lords put out a um, – a brochure, you know, that was like selling Lords as like, I don't know if it was as a tourist destination or as a, like a, an event space that you could do that. And on the front cover of this thing, oh no, it wasn't Lords, sorry. It was, um, it was Old Trafford. And on mm. the front cover of the, of the, the thing was a picture from the side of the press box. And all you could see is my very hairy legs <laughs> front place. And then a couple of years later, Lords did a big thing again, saying, you know, to a, to a um, uh, Lords and you can come to our famous press box. And again, my legs, very prominent place because for whatever reason, I must always be on the left and the camera person is coming from the left. What's the most random thing that you've been involved with in cricket where you look back and just be like, wait, that's me in the background? Oh, it's uh, two of me. Like, so when Sachin Tendulkar plays his final test, that final day uh, of his career, and while he's giving the speech, 
I think it was Hotstar or Star Sports. So they, uh, I don't know how they did it. They, so they, they took a screenshot or like a picture freeze frame of the entire stadium. And it was one of those pictures, like I'm not very technologically advanced. I don't know how they did it. And this is 10 years back uh, where uh, they did it with some camera or in a way where uh, if you were there at the ground that day, you could zoom in and you could, uh, like anyone could zoom in and pick yourself out. And uh, it was quite like, you know, so it was uh, like a, a reward for being there on Sachin Tendulkar's final day. So when that thing came up, like I remember there was a link you could click and like whoever you are, if you're at the ground, you could zoom in like wherever you were sitting and the ground was full. So I was like a- a- any self-indulgent person. I wanted to look for myself. So I scanned all around the ground. And I remember very clearly while the speech was going on, my then boss said, uh, and there were a lot of people like actually breaking down in the press box, which kind of made me a little uncomfortable anyway. But then my boss said, go downstairs and see if you can find like a side story. Because I remember VVS Lakshman, Dravid, and maybe I'm going to say Ganguly were doing TV, but they were standing like near the press box, like under an umbrella. Uh, So I just went down. Um, So while I was zooming in to find myself and I spotted myself, oh, there I am, right next to um, Dravid, uh, Ganguly and Lakshman there. And as I continued like scanning, I found myself again in the press box. So it's this freak. <laughs> so maybe it was one of those cameras which was like moving at a very slow pace so that it could zoom into everyone. And you're just moving was, around. I was moving around. So there's two of me. It's I kind love of freaky. Sachin Tadilka so much. I cloned myself. <laughs> to. I cloned myself. I was in the press box and I was at ground level. So it's quite, uh, it's freaky almost. And because you can zoom in and see yourself clearly, it is very, very weird to see like, yeah, it, it's it's funny. But like, yeah, I don't know. I've been in the background of lots of these uh, random things. Like you, you end up being, right? Yeah, the top uh, of your head. That... The one that annoyed me from the test that I didn't get in is they were talking about David Warner form when he came back and i don't remember if you at this press conference but it was during the world cup he um and because i obviously worked with him so i know oh, yeah, warner, yeah, yeah. warner right so we're at the press conference and he'd been he had a terrible strike rate in the power play the 2019 world cup like that, yeah, yeah really just it wasn't working for him and so i ask a question uh, you know blah 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 davy blah blah, blah 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 and then i'm like because your strike rate in the power play is like 45 and he's like yeah thanks for reminding me jared <laughs> and I was like, and when the test is coming up, I was like, oh my God, they're going to use that. And I'm going to look like a prick here, uh, but yeah. they cut it out. But yeah, a top of heads, side of heads, all that sort of stuff. Um, oh, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think, you know, exactly. I like it, but I like it when it's just my legs or like a shape of me um, in, in, uh, in the background. That's true. But um, yeah. uh, let's, uh, let's take a pause here. For those who are following along on YouTube live, thank you very much. But you can also follow on, on uh, this podcast on Twitter. Um, and now on Facebook, you can find it on my Facebook page as well. Um, oh. So feel free. But uh, yeah, big thanks to everyone. So if you do want to come along, me and Barrett usually do these live, but you can also follow on from all the other places, or mm. you're probably just listening to this on the podcast feed straight into your ears tomorrow. But we're going to take one last break, and then we're going to come back with a little bit of Big Bash, and then a little bit about Ireland versus Bangladesh. Just in some ways, two ba- one bash, one bung. Welcome back to Uncovered, Jared Kimber and Barrett from the race. And Barrett, I... I don't haven't offered you this, but I can get you a Manscaped lawnmower 4.0. I don't know what your downstairs is like. I can see your upstairs. I'm not sure if they could help with that, but uh, if, if you need it, just let me. Know. I can hook you up. I know a guy. That's all I'm saying. If if you need the Manscaped, um, okay. So from that to Big Bash, 
No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I haven't been following it that much. You know, some of the controversies, some of you know, mm. the, obviously Steve Smith. I think, was it last week? We were like, Steve Smith, he doesn't make runs in T20 cricket anymore. And then he's not made, he's not failed since. Just, well, he yeah. failed to make 300s, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. It seems to me that it's, I don't, and I don't know what the reason is or if you agree, but it seems a little bit more fun than perhaps some previous seasons. Am I right? Yeah. And it almost, now when I think back, it seems inevitable that it would be because people had literally given up on the big, big bash league after the draft. You know, the draft was a, if not a failure, it, it didn't live up to the expectations of Cricket Australia or those who had decided to, you know, bring, bring it in place and make it a TV product. Uh, so, after that, and you know, especially with some of those key guys not coming, um, all this the question marks hanging over the broadcast rights, uh, you know, channel seven and those issues, you almost felt like uh, at that point, like, oh, this is like it, it the only way up for the big bash, uh, or that's only one way, this is the way up. Uh, and it seemed to have hit rock bottom. I mean, it has been, it has disappointed in the last two, three seasons overall as a product. I mean, there have been some great performances like you would expect from any cricket league, but uh, overall, like as a product, it has disappointed and it seemed to have hit rock bottom. And I almost had a feeling that generally when those things happen in life, or most times, there's there's a way of, uh, you know, um, the universe... Uh, like correcting it like there's a self-correction that happens and uh, even if it hasn't been like a blockbuster BBL season it's been so much better than what we've seen in the last uh, few years Um, in fact like almost as good as some of the seasons when the BBL was at its peak when it was the clear number two or behind the IPL when it came to T20 leagues or some would believe it was the clear number one as well for some I mean I remember when uh, in say 2014, 15, when I was still in India, uh, I still love watching the BBL. I mean, it, it was—I wouldn't say it was the IPL of the Indian winter, but it was—it was the league that you watched uh, when you know India was playing Test cricket or the Ranji Trophy was on. Um, so no, I think, uh, and the reason for that is in back when the BBL was a big hit, uh, Jared, and a lot of people who've covered a lot of BBL and seen a lot of BBL will tell you, uh, and you, you're one of them, you've been part of the BBL. It was always, there were always highlights that would like, really spruce it up uh, on social media, right? There were always something happening, whether a controversy, and not always an extreme one as Shane Warne and my, my dear friend Marlon Samuels clashing with each other, but just uh, uh, it'd be a freaky catch. It could be the watermelon kid. It'd be a kid eating a banana, someone taking a catch in the crowd. And we've seen all that, like we've seen controversy, Adam Zampa almost nearly running someone out or running someone out and then being deemed to have not done it <laughs> properly. The Michael Nisa catch on the boundary, uh, some spectacular performances, some new guys come putting their hand up. Jake Brown, I remember, uh, played a couple of innings and a few others as well. Spencer Johnson from South Australia, bowling at 150 kph and, uh, you know, bowling wonderfully in the dead, bowling shot at, and, uh, you know, he, hitting guys uh, and getting them out with the, with the, with bouncers. And then, uh, then there was a second, chapter to it right once these test stars would return not all of them have set the bbl on fire but then steve smith of all people maybe not many expected him to be the one on that lot to do what he's done no i mean absolutely did not we spent an entire episode talking about him (laughs) and then oh just even his sixes yesterday i mean he was well on track to make his third straight t20 century which nobody has ever made uh and some of the sixes were just 
that was uh, Steve Smith rolled. I mean, it was like Andre Russell and A.B. De Villiers rolled into one, uh, you know, and a little bit of Steve Smith magic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how he's going to quickly transform the, transform from that to test cricket. I mean, he will, he can, he and I'm sure uh, he'll be the best at it. But uh, it's been quite quite the BBL in, in, in that in that sense. And like a few guys have put their hand up to. Uh, and so it's been like some classic hits, like you know, Aaron Finch making runs, Sean Marsh coming back from injury and making runs uh but at the same time all these new guys have put their hand up and the stars even though they were expected to stay only for a few matches and not just the steve smiths and those man colleges i'm talking even about a chris lynn for that matter or andre russell played a handful of matches but he had that one innings against brisbane heat where he just uh you know killed the game off so it's been it's been a fun fun bbl uh to the extent that uh you know, all these years, the talk has been like how to reduce the BBL. But now that we know there will be a reduction, not next summer, but the summer after, based on the new broadcast rights, uh, Greg Shippard and others have said, no, 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 no. I, uh, no. So, so as a result, there's some talk of maybe advancing it to reducing it from 61 to 43 matches next summer itself. Even like with the current broadcast, it's considering it's still Fox and Seven who have uh, who will be broadcasting cricket for the next in Australia for the next seven eight years. Uh, but Greg Shepard, I saw the other day coming out and saying, no, 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 like, you know, more games means good for, like, it's a good thing for domestic players. It's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And now that the BBL has, has proven itself again as being the most exciting league or whatever, or it, it has come out in its most exciting form, maybe we should not reduce the number of matches. So that's a good, healthy debate to have uh, compared to even like a few months ago where literally you felt there was... Uh, Everyone involved was saying, you know, the problem with the BBL is the duration. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got the South African League is clearly, you know, a pseudo IPL feeder league, yeah. but South Africans are going. So it looks like the crowds are good from here. From what I've heard over there, it's, it's doing okay. I don't mm. think it's doing better than anyone thought, but it's certainly not doing worse. Mm. UAE is kind of what we thought would happen. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've noticed in my feed that the, the T20 heads are split and they are, most of them are watching mm. both with a little bit of Big Bash. Yeah. And so there is, certainly Big Bash is sort of being pushed um, away. But they're yeah. watching both those leagues. But I just think it'd be interesting to see what casual fans kind of think of all that. But but it's interesting to see the Big Bash is working as what it is. And I'm not sure it ever can be much bigger than this, but I'm also not sure it ever needs to be hmm. much bigger than this. Unless the only way to make it bigger, of course, is to move it out of the height of the summer, move it into yeah. February, March, which is when it yeah. should have been run anyway, but they didn't do that. And so, you know, you're always going to have that problem. So just on uh, last thing I want to talk to you today was you probably would have seen that Ireland uh, is mm. going to be touring Bangladesh, which I believe, and I can't find the date here, but it's, it's the first time they've toured Bangladesh since 2006. Six, is it? Does that sound right? 2008, maybe? Yeah. It's a very long time. <laughs> it has. It has been. And what, but more importantly, their first test match in three years? Four years, right? So, four years? Like 2019, the Jack Leach game was, I think, the last one. Yeah, so and three and a half Tim, years. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, really, really interesting from a couple of uh, points. As I said, the first one is that we talk about how India, Australia, and England don't play the smaller countries enough. And, and look, there's plenty of evidence of that we don't have to relitigate that mm. we don't talk about the fact that the smaller countries also are part of this problem um, yeah and if you're bangladesh over the last couple of years i don't know if 
creating a rivalry is the right way of looking at it because maybe you wouldn't mean I don't know, you know, how much rivalry there'll ever be between Bangladesh and Ireland. But there mm. was an ability to it's it's better it's better to play Ireland who are a test nation who and who are developing themselves and get yourself to a certain level rather than just keep playing major test nations and struggling. You know, you, they can experiment against Ireland a little bit more, not not saying that they wouldn't lose, but saying, mm. you know, they can do other things that they can, whereas against some of the best teams, they're not going to be able to do anything other than just play their best players and hope for the best, right? But also, w- the fact that it is Ireland's first test in, in four years, basically, we both know the system is broken. It's just, yes. it's so ridiculous that this is the case. What is the point of, and, and I remember when I talking to Scotland, uh, when I first started working for Scotland and going, are mm. you going for test status? I'm like, it's not that we're not going for test status, mm. but we're not sure what test status gets us. And I remember, so what was that? 2018, 2019. And it must've been 2012 when I was talking to Ireland. And that stage, Ireland was all about test status, right? And mm. we know that since then, their T20 team and the one day teams haven't been quite yeah. as strong. It's not just because they all went all in the test cricket. I've seen people say that. It's no. Like, no, because they've actually been able to mm-hmm. develop their cricket is better because they have a first class yeah. um, set up at home. So I don't think that's the case. But I do wonder if Ireland have just gone, do you know what? No, we're going to put everything <laughs> into white ball cricket and we're going to make yeah. sure that we have the best white ball players in the, in the world if that would be a better situation for them. But but I just wanted to mention that I think the big teams get a lot of flack and they certainly deserve it many times. But it's not that the smaller teams are also out there doing a lot of charity work and trying to fix cricket. And if I was running Bangladesh cricket, I would think that Ireland would be a really good place for me to have every couple of years play series against because it allows my players to develop in English conditions without us having yeah. to play against England. Um, and also it's a team more on their level, right? Like, you know, they get a chance of, of, of playing really good quality cricket against a good team without getting smacked mm. in the face. I mean, think back to the early years of Bangladesh uh, in test cricket. You know, they played that first test in um, 2000. And after that, the number of times Bangladesh and Zimbabwe would play each other. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure about the numbers, but it is so common. I mean, there was uh, Bangladesh would go to Zimbabwe and then Zimbabwe would come to Bangladesh. And, uh, and you know, Bangladesh kept inching closer and closer and closer to that first win. And then they finally beat Zimbabwe and it was a significant moment uh, for them. And, and this is when Zimbabwe was still, uh, I mean, they've kind of seem to be getting back into becoming a very competitive team across formats. But this was back in when Bangladesh, uh, when Zimbabwe was a very good team. And that's how Bangladesh got better, by playing a very good Zimbabwe team over and over again. And, and you're right. <laughs> I, played them, I, I, just, I just looked it up. They played them four times in the first four and a half years of them having yeah. test status. And that was... I reckon they would have played about 14 test series. So it's a big percentage of the amount yeah. of test series that they were playing. Absolutely. And, and that that's what really got them, uh, made them a competitive team. And then, then they started playing against the West Indies a lot. But yeah, I mean, look, the way Ireland have performed against the West Indies, especially in white ball cricket, they went and won a ODI series there, didn't they? Or T20I series, one of the one two. Day, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, if you are West Indies, you would want to be playing test matches against uh, the likes of Ireland as well. Like, you know, where the West Indies are right now as a test team, uh, what we saw recently. I mean, despite their 
obvious win against England it seems at home which they always beat England uh they the uh, what the West Indian team we saw in Australia anyway uh you know that team uh, could easily play an Irish team and that series will be competitive and it's just it's exposure for for both sets of players and what we found out during the T20 World Cup was there was a focus in Irish cricket to set their T20 cricket uh, or T20 records straight so they did seem to be focusing a lot on T20 cricket and it showed i mean they had a uh, they they had a very good world cup they did didn't they yeah they did. yeah of course they did they beat yeah, england beat england they beat who did they beat the qualify was it i mean uh, they beat they the beat best scotland in the qualify so scotland yeah, would probably I, mean, I still think scotland would probably a slightly better T20 team than them so that was a good effort to beat them yeah, and they ran Australia close, of mm-hmm. course, in Brisbane. Uh, they lost out on two points, you would think, or at least the potential of two points on a cloudy day at the MCG against Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, and it worked out. So they focused on one format, it worked out. But the, the one good thing for Ireland is, I don't know if it's a good thing, but they'll get to play two test matches now because they're of this Bangladesh tour in the space of two months, right? They mm-hmm. have that four-day test against England uh, in early June, if I'm not mistaken just before the World Test Championship final. Uh, and now this one on April 4th against uh, against Bangladesh. So, uh, yeah, but I think, and you know this better than I ever will, like having spent so much time with associate uh, teams, uh, or I mean, Ireland aren't an associate team anymore. They're a full member nation, but uh, players uh, from these countries, right? Like uh, they are very realistic. They're not, there are very few that I've interacted with fanciful who think that they'll end up playing 50 test matches in their career. They're very realistic and they take whatever chances that come their way. And I'm sure the Irish will be very excited about playing that test match. I think when, you've, when you're when you an international cricketer and you've played at a World Cup, but you've also played in front of three people um, in, Ken- <laughs> in Kenya, right? You know, and I remember, I, I think it was when I was talking to um, uh, Ed Joyce and, and, and Gary Wilson about the um, Kevin O'Brien innings. And I right. said, was that the best innings you ever saw? And I, I can't remember if it was an innings in Kenya or Namibia. Or, there was in like another inning somewhere that yeah. he had played that was on that same level. And you realize what a weird career those guys live in, right? So they're yeah. now test cricketers, right? But at the same time, they played in some of the most, you know, you know, they, they played probably against Guernsey and Isle of Man and, you know, these random tournaments in places, you know, they, they know the conditions in Oman, and you and I have never been to Oman for cricket, right? You know, just, you know, they, they know the, the best place to eat breakfast in Hong Kong, right? Because they've had to tour there a couple yeah, of times. Exactly, All that yeah. sort of stuff. It's just so different. And yet then they're test cricketers. And it is that sort of half and half world. But I just, just from a development point of view, if they're, I know it's great they're playing a couple of tests back to back and hopefully they do well. And, and um, you know, I think so far in test cricket, Ireland's done okay considering everything. Um, yeah. You know, for the few games that they've played, England, um, they certainly gave them a fair run. And <laughs> Pakistan, it was a good comeback oh, in that game from how far game. they were. Yeah. But the long term is if West Indies aren't playing any tests and Sri Lanka aren't playing any tests, South yeah. Africa aren't playing many tests, you're really going to have to in- invest in it if you want to. Um, and I don't see that happening in the future, but I could be wrong. <laughs> And look, look, and when the West Indies and South Africa keep complaining about the fact that, and understandably and justifiably complaining about the fact that they're not going to play too many test matches in the next five years, here is an opportunity. There are two teams, or, okay, I mean, leave Afghanistan aside for political reasons or whatever, but at least there is an Ireland, there is a Zimbabwe, who you can 
if you can have series with them, uh, the FTP is controlled by you now, you know, in, in some ways. Uh, or like, you know, find a way. I mean, the South African, every South African player who did a press conference or a coach said, uh, no, 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 we are backing um, Cricket South Africa to find us more test matches because I think what they slated to play just 12 in the next two years, uh, which is a shocking number. Mm. And West Indies are slated to play 18 in the next five years, which is an even more shocking number. So you could end up playing test matches uh, against Ireland, which will benefit both parties. So hopefully hopefully that does happen. Uh, but just two things. Uh, one about the, uh, you said the different different world that they inhabit. The one thing I noticed during the World Cup or most ICC events is there are no optional training sessions for an Ireland or a Scotland, right? They all show up for every practice session because how often do they get access to even a facility like the uh, the Ian Healy Oval uh, in, in, in Brisbane or the Allen Borderfield? Uh, that, those are world-class facilities, especially the Allen Borderfield. So they don't get access to that. So they make the most of every opportunity they get to come and train. So uh, I thought that was quite um, endearing, the fact that they don't have any optional. Nobody opts out of a training session if you're for one of those countries. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it. All of it, isn't it? It's the ability to develop your players um, every time, which is, that's not the West, even the West Indies, you know, for all their problems, they come to a World Cup, they're not really looking at developing their players. They're yeah. these days hoping to qualify for a World Cup or make the second round. Yeah. Um, but they're not looking at developing their players. Whereas, yeah, if you are Scotland or Namibia or wherever else, you're just like, wow, we now have a month together, maybe, you know, six yeah. weeks together. We will go around Australia. We'll get, you know, the ability to do all that sort of stuff. It, it's huge. Um, it, and it's a really interesting sort of subplot to major events now that you have the ability to do that. And, Things are changing, as we've seen with the Under-19 Women's World Cup that's on at the moment. Um, Barrett, thank you very much for coming on and talking. Is there anything that you need to plug, quick buzz-wise, or your, you know, just personally? Uh, I mean, um, I'm headed to India next week. So anyone, uh, you'll be, I'll put out his um, location if anyone wants yes. to just uh, follow him. <laughs> In fact, uh, I am looking for free accommodation. So if anyone can offer me a room uh, with one plug point, I have a I have sleep apnea. I need to wear the CPAP machine to sleep. So all I ask for is a plug point, especially in Bangalore. Please let me know. I'm I'm headed to Bangalore on the 31st. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the book I spoke about last week, it comes out, uh, I think the pre-order goes up very soon it's called the miracle makers it's out uh, on uh, we we're planning to have a la launch in delhi in uh, after the second test so that's in the works as well but no i mean there's a, a a bit coming up i'm trying to do a story on um, reverse swing not in terms of reverse swing itself but from an australian perspective how different generations of australian fast bowlers uh uh, you know, learned the art of reverse swing before their first tour to the subcontinent. Mm. So that's something I'm working on. It's worth, if you're doing that, I, I don't know where we, where I'm giving you notes on air. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. worth talking to some of the Victorian bowlers from the 1970s who used to bowl mm. reverse swing, if you can find any of them. I think I've written about them in one of my articles, but it is, it's, it's got a really long history in Melbourne. I think Melbourne might be one of those places where the pitches play a part um yeah and, and the ball reverse okay yeah that sounds interesting i'll um, send that through to me and i'll uh, make a video out of it if i'm interested <laughs> i uh i've got uh what have i got i've got um south africa batting in test match cricket tomorrow coming out Ooh. a video which is includes my thesis that essentially they are the first team in history to forfeit the number seven position uh, when it benefits neither <laughs> yeah. their batting or bowling, from yeah. what oh, I can tell. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, they've the, got the point. lowest batting average in number seven to the last three years of Test cricket. And it's 
comically low. It's like mm. even I was just like, I can't have done this right. Clearly, I've pressed the wrong button. <laughs> um, so I've got that coming out. Um, eventually, my Chris Green uh, video will be out in a couple oh, of days. Oh, well done. Well uh, which, is, which has been good fun. And what else did I have? Yeah, a couple of other things that I'll talk about in the future. But if you want to support the podcast, uh, you can find Jared Kimber on Patreon, which helps me pay Barat's exhaust. Uh, helps me buy him a new machine to keep him breathing. <laughs> keep me alive. Yeah. Uh, so uh, please do that. And I've got the uh, Viv Richards uh, T-shirt on oh, nice. uh, from Bodyline T-shirts if you're interested in that as well. But thank you to everyone for listening in. Let's give, uh, I mean, A, thank you, Keshav. Uh, he's in, uh, he's your... in Mumbai, though. He's not in ba- it, Bangalore. I know, I know, I know. And my mother is there. So I think even though we don't speak very often, she will offer me a bed in her house. But now his question, we'll just quickly just touch yeah, upon yeah. it. I mean, he spoke about, he wanted to know about uh, Najam Sethi's decision to uh, convert the, uh, there, there it is, like the Afghanistan-Pakistan ODI series into a T20I series. Firstly, look, in I mean, the year of the World Cup is the is the main part of that, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even though you've qualified, wouldn't you want uh, wouldn't you want to play the three three extra ODIs to for whatever reason it is, right? To get like some player, uh, uh, kind of if you're looking for some options for a certain role or uh, a certain position, I thought it would have made more sense to stick to it as an ODI series, but. Uh, what do I know? And we spoke, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the intricacies and the fickleness of uh, decision makers in Pakistan cricket, but I, this seems to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I miss included it in the show, but I'm not even sure what my main thinking is on, on the mm. particular question. The other thing that I found interesting about it was that they talked about the political angle of playing Afghanistan. Um, yeah. and then said, but by the way, we're converting this series. Well, so, so yeah. that play, playing them in, in a shortly, a slightly shorter format doesn't change the political angle. I just sort of, the whole thing just seemed very worded very badly. And see, in fact, we just have one other question that, it, which is along the same lines, which now I can't find, of course, uh, which is from, is it Gautam? Where he says, which cricket board has the most qualified professional office holders? And so when we're talking about Pakistan cricket at the moment, we, you and I both know, brilliant people who've worked for Pakistan cricket mm. before currently do will go on to do it their media manager for instance one oh, of yeah. the best media managers i've ever come across in fact I, I, quite a few of their media managers just absolutely top notch but some of the other people that work in development and other sides yep. the problem is though that because the chair position has now become political because it has become this this farcical position and because the chairs have decided that they're actually ceos I wonder how much can happen. I would say that mm. the best cricket boards, you probably don't hear from their chair that often, mm. right? That's the first mm-hmm. thing. If the CEO is making the majority of yeah, the yeah, decisions, of yeah, yeah. that's someone who's working 60 hours a week, probably getting paid an absolute bucket of money to make professional yeah. decisions to help your cricket team. The chair, probably still running their their, their things. They're going on holidays. They may be semi-retired oh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> if they're swinging in and making decisions, you can straight away decide, I'm not sure that's the board that I want. Uh, I want to be yeah. listening to, and there aren't that many great cricket boards. If we're, you know, one day I will do a power ranking of them. It's not good. It's not going to be a good power ranking. Yeah. It may yeah. may end with me never getting press accreditation ever again when I have done it. Um, but there really isn't that many. And, and to, to prove this, I would say we just talked about Cricket Island. I would say that they were very well run. They went from basically being amateur to being a mm. test nation very quickly. Now, a lot of the players should get credit for that, but so should the administration for completely yeah. turning around what was an amateur situation. But we've also just talked about the fact they put a lot of their eggs into the test basket just at a time when everyone was pivoting away from test cricket. Yeah. And the second thing is, that didn't they get 
um, didn't they get a bunch of money um, uh, siphoned off from some scam that they didn't see? They're one of the better ones, and I still think yeah. there's a long way to go. You can see similar <laughs> about New Zealand. I mean, Cricket Australia yeah. by the end of James Sutherland was almost fraying at the edges, and there was a, mm. and that was a very professionally run board, but mm. it had a real toxic culture within the structure of it. Uh, you know, and England certainly had its own issues with its England's last two chairs before the current. Uh, well, actually, two chairs back. You know, certainly had some issues. Uh, with, with you know, I made a film about one of them, and could have made a film about the next guy as well, if I'm being honest. So it's not that well run is the best yeah. way of putting it. Uh, but there are that. That's not to say that there aren't some incredible professionals working around cricket because I think that oh, would be unfair. Um, but it's. I think you and I both work for major cricket organizations. We're not going to pretend that, you know, Crick Buzz or Crick Info is brilliantly run at all times and we have our own no. thing. But I would say that probably both of those organizations are probably run slightly better than most cricket boards. And that's not oh, yeah. really what you want. Uh, <laughs> it really, that's not how it should be, I suppose is the best way to put it. Um, anyway, thank you, everyone. Uh, go out, support us on Patreon. Uh, shave yourself with Manscaped, uh, which is Barrett's just about to go do that now. If uh, you're just in Bangalore, uh, uh, Bangalore, and you need to, uh, Bengaluru, I've got the Bengaluru confused in my own head then. And you and you have a spare room with an electrical socket. What what better way than supporting this podcast than by having <laughs> the great Barrett's and the racing in your house or in your mum's house or in his mum's house, yeah, wherever absolutely. he ends up. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the 99.94 Network. Cricket every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sindarisen is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts, and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. <laughs>